You can have a seat. And kids, you are dismissed. Pastor Jeremiah is leading the way. Have a great time in your classrooms. We loved having you for worship with us. I do, I do love watching the kids run out of here with glee. I don't know. I try not to take it personal, but it really feels, I mean, it does feel good. Like, they're excited to be here. They're pumped to go to kids' ministry. That's awesome stuff. At any rate, good morning. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you this morning. We are starting a new series today, and most of the time when we start a new series, I'll say something like, we're starting a new series today, and I'm really excited about this new series we're going into. Um, if, that's like a typical thing for me to say, right? Today I have to say, I'm tentative about this new series we're going into. <laughs> I just means I'm being honest. I'm keeping it real today, Lois. Um, we're, doing a, uh, we're doing a series called Why Church, as you can see on the screens. And uh, it's going to be a challenging series, I think. And it's more challenging for me than for you because you have all these questions, and I know you expect me to answer them in just the perfect way, and I'm quite confident I won't be able to. Um, and so that's why I'm hesitant today. This series is certainly a response to what's happening in our world these days. A, uh, it's a response to the fact that many people who just a few years ago would regularly gather on a Sunday morning for worship now simply watch from home, doing what I affectionately call Jammy Church, a phrase I stole from Carolyn Palmer. Um, yeah, called you out, Carolyn. There you are. Uh, and it's also a response to the fact that a lot of people who used to gather on Sundays now no longer gather at all, that people have simply given up on church, have stopped coming and being a part of God's family completely. And yet, I also want to be very clear at the outset of this series that this is more, the series is more than just a sales pitch on why you should come on Sundays and give money and even volunteer around here. If, in fact, that is how you experience this series, then we have failed and we have not expressed our hearts. Our intention in this series is larger than that, it's bigger than that. Our hope is that we might all step back together and think through what church is and why, even with all of its warts and bumps and brokenness, it seems to be important to God. It seems to be central in the scriptures. Because we've all come through a long season, a season where we really just tried to survive. I mean, these last few years have been, we've been kind of in survival mode, just one foot in front of the other. So many of us, is, I'm not trying to thrive, I'm just trying to survive, and that's okay, because I think the church has largely been in the same place. And like the author of Ecclesiastes says, there's this time for everything. We all go through seasons, and we are coming out of a survival season. But friends, here's what I believe. I believe now is the time for the church to dream again. It's time for the church to rethink and reimagine and remember who we are, who we're called to be, and how we might live together in this world. Because times have changed. The world as we know it has shifted beneath our feet. And yet, the church, I believe, does not need to rush into a new identity. This is an opportunity for us to rediscover our true identity, 
to become more the collective people we have always been called to be. So our goal in this series is to dig deep into some of the questions that people are asking about the church. Questions maybe you or your friends or your neighbors have considered. Questions, if I'm honest, I have been asking in these last couple years more than I ever have. Questions like, what are we doing here and does it really matter? Are we doing this thing right? What needs to change? Do we really look and live like Jesus as a people? Why are Christians who say they follow Jesus so easily hijacked by culture wars and political division and worldly identities and societal values? Why do we seem to be just as divided and polarized as the world around us? Is the church really God's plan to reach the world with the gospel? And if so, why does it seem sometimes to be so wildly ineffective? Now, maybe you're listening to that and you're thinking, man, Pastor Dave's gotten real cynical. Uh, (laughs) Those are some pretty cynical questions, Dave. You're a pastor. Aren't you supposed to love the church and believe in the church? Aren't you supposed to like really like help us get fired up? Yes, kind of, sometimes. Um, And I do want you to know that I do love the church. I do love the church. And I've probably seen more of the hard reality of the church than you have. I've been past, I'm kind of in this place now where I've realized that I'm getting old. I'm no spring chicken anymore. I used to think of myself as a young pastor, and then all of a sudden, like, all these millennials showed up, and Pastor Nick's preaching and using all these phrases that I have to look up on Google, and I'm like, I'm a veteran. All of a sudden, I'm like one of those veteran players that comes off the bench and has to monitor how many minutes he can play because his (laughs) knees are bad. What's happening, you know? But I've been around the block for a while. I've been in early morning and late night elder meetings. I've been with couples in crisis and I've walked with staff through tragedy and I've seen leaders fall morally and I've watched members be petty and critical and dogmatic and divisive. And I tell you all that simply to say, I get it. I understand the struggle that people have with the church. I'm not that much different than you or your neighbors, in fact. I maybe have more experience with the difficulties. Uh, I understand that the church can be complicated and hard and frustrating and ignorant and stubborn and sometimes just messed up. I get the struggle. So in this series, please do not hear me offering Pollyanna, pie in the sky. We're going to pretend like everything about church is always delightful and dandy kind of answers. No, because that's actually the biggest hesitation I have about this series. I struggled with the message this week because I don't want it to feel trite or thin or just typical or too easy. Sometimes our answers as Christ followers are just too easy. And often I feel like the answers that I'm offering to these questions are too easy. In fact, one of the things I actually appreciate about the Bible in a lot of ways, and I've been reminding myself of this over the last few years, is the fact that the church has always been broken from the very beginning. You know, there's this whole idea like, man, we're not doing church right in America. We should get back to doing church the way the Bible says. I'm like, eh, I don't know. I mean, have you read the Bible? Do you know what they were dealing with in the church back then? I mean, some of our problems are like lightweight compared to some of theirs. I mean, they got fighting and dividing and arguing. There's self-righteousness, pride, sexual sin. There's classism, racism, sexism. There are people who are using the gospel to make a name for themselves and to make money. Can you imagine such a thing? 
It's all in there. And it brings comfort to me because if God can use those people, then maybe he can use these people. Maybe he can use us. So on that note, let's start a little different way this morning. I want to begin just by kind of giving you a chance to assess. Where am I at in this question? Why church? What do I think about church? What is church? I just want to give you a few minutes to kind of not just hear from me, but to hear from yourself for a second. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. I'm going to read a list of words, and I just want you to kind of do a word association thing. Like, what comes to mind? What memories pop up? What feelings emerge in your heart when I read these words or phrases? So, a little self-assessment. Okay, here we go. Ready? Following Jesus. God's people. The gospel. The kingdom of God. The church. The American church. The global church. Here's the last one. Cedar Mill Bible Church. I know that was fast, but I'm guessing in this room there are a lot of images and memories and feelings that sort of popped up in your mind and heart. And at least some of those were positive, I'm guessing. Hopefully a lot. Um, One of my images when I think of church, I did this exercise myself this week and just kind of thought, what would I think, you know? Um, And one of my images was the small Baptist church I went to in college. It was a church where every single week, the pastor, not, not the kid's pastor, the head pastor, called the kids forward and did a puppet show for them, just for the kids. And the adults liked it just as much as they did, right? Uh, It was a church that wasn't fancy. The sound system was pretty terrible. The words that we sang were on the, were up using one of those overhead projectors. You guys, some of you are old enough to remember this, those little clear transparency sheets that you'd print on or you'd write on with like a, like a, like a dry erase marker, and then you, the one person would be in there like sliding it, and they'd get it turned, and, you, and then every now and then it was the wrong way or upside down, and, and it would just get projected up on the wall, not on a screen, just right on the wall. This church was, uh, it was like a mobile home, like a double-wide mobile home. That's where the church gathered, and it was just chairs on a flat surface, like about 100 chairs. This is the church I went to in college, and after service, the chairs would all get to get rearranged and tables would get put out and the church would have a potluck and college kids came for free, which meant we didn't have to bring anything. We just had to show up and eat, which was awesome. Um, it was like the best part of service, all the home cooking. But honestly, what I remember most about that church was how much grace I felt there, how safe I felt there, how loved I felt there, how cared about I felt there. Pastor Nick did a training for our staff this week, and he shared a quote that really stuck out to me. It says, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. 
Some of you have wonderful memories about the church. And in this room, there are also other feelings. Feelings of hurt and pain and disappointment and betrayal and conflict and rejection. Tim Keller says this about the church. For thoughtful people, the biggest question about believing in Christ has to do with the church. In other words, because the church's record has been so atrocious at times, because the church has been one of the greatest reasons for not believing in Jesus Christ, all thoughtful people have to ask themselves the question, how can I believe in Christ Christ, despite Christians? <laughs> how can I believe in Christ despite Christians? <laughs> that one feels personal to me. Because I know there's times where people have thought, how can I believe in Christ in spite of this guy, Pastor Dave? <laughs> Keller's acknowledging here that church can be hard, that following Jesus would be easy if I didn't have to do it with all these people around me. And because of that, people in our world are walking away. And not just walking away from God, not just walking away from organized religion, Walking away from the church. More and more these days, people are saying, I want to pursue spirituality. I'm into spirituality. I want to pursue God. I even want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to do it in the church. It's too broken. It's too messy. I'm too disenfranchised, and it's not working for me. Have you heard this? Have you thought this? <laughs> Have you felt this? Well, this morning I want to talk about this just a bit. I'm just going to kind of wade into this subject, and we're going to get into it more in the next few weeks. But I want to offer us two thoughts to consider. And actually, there's really three thoughts woven into these two, so I'll be honest. Um, here are the two thoughts. Here are these two phrases I want us to think about. The significance of how we grow and the intensity of who we are. I think these are sort of like questions we have to back up and ask before we even start to talk about what the church is and what's wrong with the church and how we would fix it and how we become more the people of God, we have to back up and ask a couple questions. First, the significance of how we grow. In John 17, this is the Gospel of John, story of Jesus' life, one of the four accounts. In John chapter 17, Jesus is just about to go to the cross. He's hours away from brutal torture and death. And in this passage, right before Jesus walks down this path, what do you think he, do, he does? He prays. He prays. And who do you think he prays for? He doesn't pray for his buddies. He doesn't pray for his friends. He doesn't say, God, all right, before I die, John, pray for John. Pray for Peter, you know, his temper, and he's kind of impulsive. And I pray for Andrew, and I pray for Mary and Martha and Mary and Mary and Mary and that other Mary. He doesn't do that. And then he prays for the church, his followers, his current followers, and those who will follow. That's us. He prays for the church, like for all time. The community of people that will gather around the gospel and follow him together in this world. That's a, just a little Pastor Dave definition of the church. The community of people who will gather together around the gospel and follow Jesus together in this world. Let me just read a little bit of what Jesus prays. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their, that's his disciples, message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them 
the glory that you gave me. I mean, this is like, these like eight sermons in that. That they may be one as we are one. I've given them this glory so that they can be one as we are one. And them, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. But when Jesus, when Jesus prays this, it tells us at least a couple of things. One, that Jesus deeply cares for the church. Doesn't it seem very simple, and yet I think it's central. Think about it. What do you pray for? Who do you pray for? I'll say this, and you'll know it's true when I say it. You pray about things, and you pray about people you deeply care about. We pray for what we care for. That's what we pray for. Let me give you a personal example. Uh, recently, the last few weeks, I have been praying about one thing more than all other things. I've been praying about one thing almost to the exclusion of everything else. My daughter, who we just dropped off at college. Some of you parents are like right with me right now. Last week, Amy and I dropped our oldest daughter, Skylar, off at Whitworth College up in Spokane. There she is, right next to her dorm. <laughs> Sorry, one second, just give me a minute. Um, uh, I did not get her permission to show this picture. I figured once you're out of my house, I'm done asking permission to share stories about you. You're an adult now, deal with it, you know? Anyway, she wouldn't care. Um, if you've been through this, you know it's just a mix of so many different emotions. I mean, like, here's my prayers. God, help her to have a great experience. Help her to have a good roommate and make good friends and find Christian community and grow in faith and have fun, but not too much fun, or at least the right kind of fun, and help her to get the right classes and to get the right professors and to study hard and to get good grades and to choose the right major. And Lord, help her to miss us, but not too much, but enough to call home pretty regularly. <laughs> And then the list goes on and on and on, right? And I've been praying for her because I care for her so, so much. My prayers follow my cares. <laughs> and then you think about the fact that on his deathbed, in his final hours, Jesus prays for the church. See, more and more in our world, people are saying, I'm not sure I like the church. I'm not sure I need the church. I'm not sure I value the church. And there's some reasons for those questions. But we should also stop and consider that Jesus did. He valued the church. He values and cares deeply for the church. The New Testament even calls the church Jesus' bride, that he loves his people the way a good husband loves his wife. So as we ask hard questions about the church, maybe first we need to step back and say, do we care about the church? Do our questions come from a place of deep caring? Do we love her so much that we're willing to ask the hard questions? Or do our, do our questions come from a different place? Do we love the church the way Jesus did? Now, maybe your response to that, understandably, is it's not that I don't care about the church, Pastor Dave. I just don't think the American church is in a good place. I hear this all the time. I just don't think the American church is in a good place. They've gotten so far away. We've just gotten so far away from what I think church really is supposed to be. Fair question. Fair question. But let's also consider this. 
You pray for something or for someone because you care about them, but also because you anticipate challenges. This is true, isn't it? We generally don't pray for people when things are good and easy and rosy, and it looks like smooth sailing ahead. I mean, no one says, hey, can you really pray for, can you, Pastor Dave, can you pray for my job? Things are going awesome. Or, or pray for my health. I just got a perfect checkup at the doctor. Can you pray for me? Or, or let's pray for the Smiths tonight because their marriage is as good as it's ever been. Like, this is not how prayer goes. We pray when times are hard and difficult or there is potential for things to be hard and difficult. One of my best friends in the world, uh, his wife had a 14-year battle with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. And I'll never forget um, one night we were up shooting hoops at the gym, just the two of us just connecting and talking about life. And, and his family had been on the prayer chain at church for like six years straight at this point. And I said to Jim, all right, man, like, tell me the truth as we're shooting hoops because shooting hoops with your buddy is a great place to be vulnerable. I said, tell me how are you doing really? And kind of in a moment of levity, he says, I'm just trying to get off the prayer chain, man. I'm just trying to get off the prayer chain. <laughs> and, and it became a joke between us because what Jim was saying is this, if you need prayer, things have not gone well, right? Like, it's not real easy life when people are praying for you a lot. It's good they're praying, but the fact that they have to. And, and here's my point. When Jesus in his final hours on earth prays for the church, prays for us to be one, prays for us to have unity. You know what that tells me? It tells me that Jesus knows that unity and oneness and togetherness in the church is going to be hard. It's going to be a challenge. Jesus knows it's going to be a challenge, and so he prays. You know what Jesus says right before he prays for the church in John chapter 17? This is the very last verse of John chapter 16. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, we always like to take that verse and pull it out and kind of assume that what Jesus means there is that we're going to have trouble with the world, like that the world out there is going to give us a bunch of trouble. But that's actually not what he says. He says, in this world, we're going to have trouble. And then he prays for the church to have unity and togetherness. And so at least part of the struggle that Jesus knows that we will have as his followers on this planet is with one another. And so he prays for us. You know, most of the prayers in the New Testament are offered for the church. If you read the New Testament, just there's prayer for the church, prayer for the church, prayer for the church, prayer for the church, prayer for the church. This, here's what this means. When perfect harmony and peace and tranquility and togetherness are not easy and perfectly present in the church community, we must not be surprised. Jesus isn't praying for it to be easy. He's praying for us to fight for it. That we'll be so rooted in him that we will dig deep for oneness and togetherness even when things get hard. He knows that there's going to be struggle and fight ahead, and so he prays, and maybe he prays because he also knows that it's in the fight and in the struggle that the transformation and growth that we so desperately need will happen. See, people are really quick these days to, to walk away from church when things get hard, and again, I get it. But listen to this verse from James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, 
Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Here's my thought that I want to offer you today. Maybe God wants us to have perseverance inside the church with one another so that we can be a testimony to people outside the church. Again, this is John chapter 13. There's about five chapters in John where Jesus just talks about the church, his hopes and dreams and vision for the church, and then he prays for the church. Listen to this from John 13. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Who's talking about? He's talking about fellow believers. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, what does it mean to love one another? What does it mean for us in the church to love each other? It means we should be patient. It means we should be kind. Because love doesn't envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes. Love always perseveres. There's a stick to That's my basketball coach from college. <laughs> he used to say that all the time. We gotta have stick to There's a biblical idea, really. It really is. There's gotta be a stick to in the church. See, Jesus knows that we will need love, persevering love in the church because the church is not always a group of people who think and act and behave the same way. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is talking about how the Jews and the Gentiles are supposed to come together, have now been sort of grafted and merged together in the church. In Colossians, he talks about the same thing. He says, in the church there's no Gentile or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. He's talking about how all these different people from these different perspectives and worldviews and backgrounds are going to be sort of mushed together in the church. The church is actually set up to be people, a bunch of people, together following Christ with different perspectives and different traditions and different experiences and different ideals. And don't just tolerate one another, love one another. Persevere through conflicts and difficulties and struggles to do life in a committed, deep, and vulnerable way so that the world will look at you and say, wow, these pe- this community is different. They're different than any other community out there where people gathered. Why? Because they agree, because everything's easy and comfortable. See, one of the problems with, with church is our desires and our expectations when it comes to church. We all come here with desires and expectations. We want church to feel good. This is most people. We come and it's like, oh man, I, this is our church and I want it to feel good and I want it to be safe and I want it to be cozy and comfortable. And those are good things. We want to leave every Sunday and say, man, I just feel so great about myself after that gathering. I laughed, I cried, I was affirmed. And as it turns out, God seems to agree with everything I think, which makes me feel amazing. You know what he wants, I want, my agendas and his agendas perfectly aligned, at least according to that pastor. This is certainly the church for us. I think everyone in that church votes just like me. This is the place. Friends, if you gather with a group of people where everyone votes just like you, it's not a church. It's a political party. 
And Jesus had people from different political parties in his church. So make sure, like, if you're looking for a political party, go find one. But if you're looking for a church, don't confuse the two. And I'll take any emails you want to send me on that. All right. <laughs> Let me say it again. Again, I'm pounding this point home. What if God actually wants to use the struggles of the church to grow the church? What if God actually wants to use the struggles of the church to grow the church? What if deep community with one another where grace, listen, where grace and love and patience and perseverance and even forgiveness are required is actually God's plan to grow his people? Man, think about that for a minute. To be a part of a church, that means you're going to have to have grace for the people in the church, love for the people, patience with the people, perseverance with people that drive you nuts, and even forgiveness. You have to forgive people, not just in the world, not like here, because they're going to hurt you, and they're going to wrong you, and you're going to hurt them. And then as we engage in that kind of a community, we grow. And maybe, so maybe church isn't supposed to be what we always want and expect it to be. Maybe it's supposed to be something different. You see, that's the significance of how we grow. When we really care for the church and we're committed to the church, even when things are hard. All right, next, the identity of who we are. Part of the reason I think we bail out on growing in the church and just look for a place that's easier and more comfortable and convenient is because we forget who we are called to be. We treat the church like another club that we join, right? I join an athletic club, why? Because the dues are cheap enough for me, it's conveniently located, and I like the people who are there. It all feels good, it's working for me, great. If any of those things go away, I'll change clubs. We, cheat, we treat the church like a club far too often. In Ephesians chapter two, Paul is talking about the key role that the church plays in filling the people of God with his power. You know, essentially he's saying, if you want to have God's power in your life, that's going to happen when you are in community together and together with people who aren't like you. Listen to what he says. He says, consequently, this is verse 19 of Ephesians 2. Consequently, because you've been brought into this faith community, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. We're we'll talk about that next week. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. See, Paul's talking here about what the church actually is, who we are as a people. And you've noticed that he uses three phrases here. You've noticed it because I underlined it for you, right? Three images, three metaphors that describe us. First, Paul says, you are fellow citizens with God's people. That's who you are. Now, this is a big shift for the people in the ancient world because people in the first century identified themselves with where they were from. If they were a citizen of Israel or if they were part of the Roman Empire, it was a big deal. It was often the defining part of their identity. Paul says, not anymore. Now you are fellow citizens in the kingdom of God. That's your defining reality. Then he says, you are members of God's household. Notice that he shifts here and now he starts to use family language. He's saying, God is not just your king. 
You're not just a citizen under his rule. He's also your father. You don't just share the same zip code with the people in the church. You also share the same dad. Your family, your siblings, your brothers and sisters. Friends, one of the things about one of the big things about church that I think is happening right now is we have confused calling and commodity. We've treated church, we've started to treat church like a commodity and not a calling. Right? And when you treat something like a commodity, you look for something that will enhance you. This is a commodity to my life, right? I engage it, I buy it, I attend it, I'm a part of it. Why? Because it's fun and easy and comfortable. And I'm getting something out of it. This is typical church language these days. I'm not really getting much out of it. I didn't get much out. You've heard people say this, right? If I, if I get something out of it, it's easy and fun and good, then I'm in. But as soon as it gets hard or difficult, as soon as there's struggle, as soon as there isn't something for me, but something required from me, then I'm out which makes sense if something's a commodity. But a calling is different. If you're called to something, right? Anything in your life, if you're called to it, if you feel like this is what I'm supposed to do, this is who I'm supposed to be, then then you are going to approach it differently. You're going to endure and you're going to fight and you're going to persevere because that's what families do. I mean, some of you guys are part of families. Some of you young people, this will be a surprise to you, but you'll figure this out as you get older. Families are messy, and they're hard, and, and you guys think your families are perfect right now, but later on, you're going to realize, mm, not really. My uncle was pretty messed up, and so was my mom, and my dad has to apologize for some stuff now, and you know all the things, right? Because families are messy, and yet, we still get together on Thanksgiving, don't we? Why? Because we're family, and we fight for it, and we're committed to one another. Now, there are certainly moments where you have to say, hey, this family is too abusive for me to sort of be a part of it. I have to step away. But, but those lines, those lines of commitment are much firmer in a family. And Paul is saying, church, do you understand that you are a family? Your commitment level is not here, not at a commodity level. It's at a calling level. It's way, way higher. Then look, he goes on even further and he says that we are a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He's saying we, like we as a community, are a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Friends, that means that the very power and presence of God inhabits the church, the community of faith. The Holy Spirit moves and acts among us not primarily as individuals, but when we function together as a Christ-centered community. Actually, do you know this? There's only one time in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when being a temple of the Holy Spirit is spoken of individually. Like, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you, singular, individual. It happened one time in the scriptures. It's true. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But most of the time... When a temple of the Holy Spirit, like the presence and indwelling power of the Holy Spirit is talked about in the scriptures every other time, it's always about the community. That's where the Spirit dwells. That's where God goes to work in the community of faith, not in individual believers primarily. So Paul is saying, don't forget this. 
Don't forget who you are together, that you are a temple for the very presence and power of the living God in this world. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it tells us that we are actually, each of us, like living stones, that we're stones that, that build the walls of this holy temple where God dwells in this world. And the idea is this, that we are cemented together, that in the church we're supposed to be sort of built upon one another and reliant on each other and that when we live this way the spirit of God shows up to do powerful things here is the biggest problem with the American church these days and by the way that's hyperbolic language is it the very biggest problem I don't know it's a big problem we are loosely associated with one another and not cemented together Ashley, seriously, you're the best. Thank you. Thank you. Let's hang out later. Everyone else is like, "Eh, I don't know if I want to be cemented with you, Pastor Dave. At any rate. No, seriously, most Christians in America right now, they come to church. They just come to, to the gathering to get some teaching. They maybe go to a class. They perhaps volunteer on occasion. But but they miss the larger spirit of being cemented together in the family of God. When you think about a stone wall, if you pull out a stone or two or three or six, at some point that's, that wall starts to get shaky because every stone is reliant on all the other stones for stability and support and strength. And if you pull out a stone, the wall starts to get Shifty, maybe it starts to sway. Maybe it even buckles and collapses. And so friends, let me ask you this question. Are you built into this body of believers in such a way that if you were no longer a part of it, things would start to collapse? Things would get shaky. They would begin to sway because that's what it means to be the church. Are you built into the church this way? Are you deeply connected into the lives of other people here? Do you share life's joys and struggles and disappointments and failures and dreams with people in this body? Do you use your gifts in a sacrificial way? Not just in a check-the-box way, in a sacrificial way to make this temple as strong and as solid as it can be. Do you show up here and in other gatherings, when the church gathers, do you show up physically? Do you show up emotionally? Do you show up spiritually? Do you show up vulnerably? Do you show up authentically? Do you use your gifts and passions in a manner that builds those up around you? If the answer is no, then, then maybe you're attending church, but you aren't experiencing church the way the New Testament invites you to. Now, the problem with this is that when you kind of experience church in this way, kind of peripherally, You aren't really experiencing church, and you're getting sort of this cheap, generic, pseudo version of what church really is. It'd be like if I went to Great America. Do you guys know what Great America is? The roller coasters? We were just down in Southern California uh, about a month ago, and my kids all went to Great America down there, Magic Mountain, the best roller coasters ever. What if I went to Great America with my kids one day, and then I got there, and I was like, I'm going to ride the merry-go-round and get a snow cone, but that's all I really want to do. I'm just going to sort of watch them do it. And then people were like, Dave, you went to Great America? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, wasn't it phenomenal? Didn't it blow your mind? And I'm like, no, nah, not really. And they're like, I mean, but wasn't it exhilarating and thrilling? And weren't you terrified at moments? And then all of, like, you were just like, I did it. I rode the coaster. And like, oh, wasn't it phenomenal? I was like, no, nah, not really. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I didn't think Great America was all that great. 
And I was like, well, that's because you just rode the merry-go-round, dude. That's how some people experience church. They, they roll into church and they do the merry-go-round version and they decide that church isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Of course it's not. You haven't really experienced it. Friends, so many followers of Jesus have decided to take or leave the church. I think one of the reasons is because they've never really experienced church as church is supposed to be to begin with. If it never gets messy and hard and difficult, then you probably haven't done it yet. Because that's always what the church has been from the very, very beginning. Friends, that's what families do. They do life together in a way that things get messy and hard and joyful and fun and easy and then messy and hard again. And so I believe, friends, that the very beginning of this question of why church are some questions for us. Do we care? Do we care about the church like Jesus cares? Are we willing to walk through challenges together in order to grow? And are we committed to one another in such a way that we can truly experience the power and presence of God in our midst? If we are, now we can start talking about how do we do this thing more the way Jesus wants us to and that will help us become like him and make his name known in the world. We're going to talk about that more in the next few weeks. Next week, we're talking about Jesus' vision for the church. So I hope you'll join us. Let me pray, and we'll worship together. Father, this morning, I just, I'm, I'm so aware of the fact that, that I lack your eyes for the church. I lack your heart for the church. I lack your vision for the church that maybe we do. And so we're asking you, Holy Spirit, to come. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to understand not just what the church around the globe can and should be, but who we can and should be as your church here at Cedar Mill. Um, Help us to just be hopeful and optimistic, but also honest and vulnerable about the realities that we face and the realities of who we are. I ask God that in this series you would answer some of our questions and that you would raise some questions, that you would knit us together in a new way, maybe change the way we think and maybe even the way we function together, that we might be more the people that you long for us to be. That's our prayer, God. We need your help for it, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.